Hi, I'm Sam, and I'd like to welcome John York, a bassist known for his work with The Birds. Welcome, John. How are you today? Thank you, Sam. I'm fine. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty great. It's a, a Monday afternoon, and I'm feeling good. <laughs> <laughs> You're ahead of the game. Yes, yes. Well, when you joined The Birds, they were already a pretty famous and commercially successful band. How did you get with them? Well, I, it was just a chain of events. You know, if you can play the bass and you don't play too many notes and you can also sing harmony, uh, that really um, puts you in demand. I don't know how it is now, but that's how it was then. And I had just been in other bands and, uh, you know, other successful bands. So I was quite used to being the guy that steps in uh, when someone is either fired or quits and they need somebody to keep the ball bouncing, you know. So I had been playing with other people on pretty much on the same level or even higher level than the birds. So, yeah, it's like that. Yeah, all right. So you mentioned you had, like, harmony um, experience. That must have been really tough to, like, to learn that, right? You know, it was just really natural to me. I grew up in a house where singing was something that everybody did, so I never, I really didn't think about that much. It was very natural. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the the birds, of course, are known for, for those harmonies, and they're also known for, for an instrument that I noticed you play a lot of, the 12-string guitar. So what, what makes you play that instead of a six-string? Well, it just has so much going for it. I mean, you know, when you have two notes that ring in a certain relationship, they produce another note that doesn't physically exist, but because of the vibrating strings, that note is called a harmonic, and it forms in the air. And with a 12-string, it's like having, if you can imagine a guitar with, let's say, a, a ukulele, or a a much higher pitched instrument built right into it. So you've already got more sound. Um, I also play six string, but I always pretty much favor the 12 string. Sometimes other people want me to play six string or I'll just do it for fun around the house. But there's just so much harmonic potential with a 12 string guitar. It's more like, it's like a harp or a harpsichord. It just has um, all this kind of shimmering, overtones to it yeah i mean i gotta admit personally um i, I play a little guitar and I, I have a 12 string as well it's it's so fun um to play the the one thing is the fat neck always gets me like i, I can't i can't do the the same like chord shapes i gotta stretch my fingers yeah well you can have that changed i mean i've had some instruments that were like that that you know like pawn shop specials and things and you just have to have somebody somebody i would think up there in that area seattle area you just take it to somebody that's a decent repair person like a leafier and they basically can shape the neck the way you want it so mm. that you can play the guitar you know yeah it's, it's fixable yeah it's not really that big of a problem Mm-hmm. yeah i mean the, the guitar is just such a cool instrument, like, especially the 12-string. Did did you, like, play the 12-string before you were with the birds, or did that, like, get you hooked? You know, I played it before the birds, but, um, you know, I was basically um, a very in-demand bass player, so I sort of just played it with my friends and things. Mm. And then when I joined the birds, I immediately took six strings off it. <laughs> because I figured, you know, that was Roger's territory. That was Roger McGuinn's territory, and and so I just, you know, when we would get together occasionally once in a while, and, and 
under the guise of rehearsing, which was hardly ever really. I would just bring I would bring my twelve string, but I would have it as a six string. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't realize you could do that. Do you just like pull out a peg or something? No, you have to physically remove all the octave strings. Yeah, it's oh, not yeah. difficult though. Oh yeah, that that's really cool. Yeah, I I mean. Well, I, I was um, guitar shopping a few months ago, and I saw this one guitar. It was like the, the Roger McGuinn special guitar or something. It was a seven string, and I, I, I'd never seen anything like it. It was, it was crazy. They're really nice. I mean, basically what that is, you know, um, the one string that is not available on, on a six string that is on a 12 string is the octave G. Mm. So what Roger did, is he left all the other strings alone, but Martin made this for him. So you got the, the, the G string, the third string down, the third thinnest string, is two strings, the fundamental G and then the, the G an octave above. But the other strings on the guitar are just, you know, just one string, like a six string. So that's, that's the idea. Yeah, it seems like it has such a cool sound, and I, I guess... Clearly, it works. Yeah, I mean, I don't even. I've never seen one. I've only heard about them. You have to go to a shop that uh, has a Martin uh, franchise, and they might not even have it. It might be one of those things like they want to order it, and you say, "Well, I don't know. I just want to try it out." Hmm. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned you you play the guitar and and the bass. Um, how many instruments do you play? You know, I don't know. I mean, if it's got strings on it, I like to I like to mess with it. I mean, I've you know I've played instruments from many other places in the world. I played the oud for years, and um, I played the samisen, and I, I like to play the Irish harp. And uh, just if it's got strings, I'm fascinated by it. You know, I mean, it's just the same concept. You have a resonating chamber with a neck and strings on it, and you just figure out how it's tuned and see if you can play a major scale and a minor scale at least. Or to a way that it'll work so you can play it. You know, it's endlessly fascinating. Mm. And do you still, like, play, like, your instruments a lot? or I play every day, for hours, every wow. day. Good for you. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the further down the trail you get, Sam, the more you realize that a lot of the things that you think are important and that have something to do with who you are, are just not important and they sort of fall away but you kind, you kind of realize like what your gift is and then you want to work on that for as long as you're able to give it to people you want to keep improving it so I mean I play hours every day unless something pulls me and my wife out of the house which is not too often I had a gig last night and it just feels so good to be able to play to people especially people that are appreciative so yeah I play every day Really wow. important. Yeah, I, I mean, playing playing is a lot of fun. It, you must, yeah, you must have gotten like so much better over the years from all all that practicing. Well, you know, you ne- you never in your own mind um, reaching the goal that you're trying to reach, but um, it does get deeper, and that's the I think that's on one level the important goal is you want to see how deeply you can go into music. I I had this conversation with. Gene Parsons about a year ago, hmm. a drummer in the, in the Birds, and he said that if we live long enough, we become music. He's right. That, yeah, that's really interesting. You you played um, with with Clarence White 
as well in in the birds right that that was your your lineup yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's what what a guitar player right and with the 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 b bender it's it's very interesting well it was obvious every moment that clarence was playing the guitar that this was something that was so rare and it was from such a high level of musical um facility and 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 sympathy that you know i can still close my eyes and hear clarence i can still feel all that he gave i mean not just to me but to anyone who heard him i can still feel that you know it was very very deep and exhilarating uh, experience playing with clarence mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean you, you hear some of the some of that stuff and it it's just crazy and I I've heard um what you have you're on like one like live birds album and there's some like really really cool stuff on that and I I noticed with like with with the birds throughout the, the entire the entirety of the birds I guess and with you too you you played a lot of Dylan covers what about Bob Dylan's songs like appealed to to you and the birds so much well, I, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I think this would be in agreement probably with how Roger felt, because he was choosing the songs to play, the Dylan songs. And so he just goes so deep, and he goes deep with humor, and he goes deep with either clarity or complete obfuscation where you have no idea what the song is about. But he just continues to go deeper and deeper, and he somehow reflects something that uh, was very much a part of those of us who were sort of coming of age in that time period. And his connection to this day, to what really is the roots, uh, or what really are the roots of American music. I mean, he really, before he became well-known, had done years of research into what is American music? What does that mean? You know, the, the experience of all the people that came here, either were brought here forcefully or, you know, came here from other countries. And, and uh, even his, his awareness of what makes a good pop song. And, uh, and then his, uh, his um, he has a real literary appreciation. He's a guy who obviously has read a lot of things that we would consider to be classics. I mean, you know, studied writers that um, maybe now in high school you only hear the names of, but you're not required to read. Uh, but he he had a really, really uh, strong foundation in American music and, and, let's say, poetry. I mean, he knew, he knew the writings of all the beat poets and the people who came before. And he just gave us uh, a foundation so strong and so deep that if we wanted to look into it, if we wanted to dig deeper as he had done it's an endless supply of, of strength and information for for artists you know and for the listener as well yeah i mean i, I certainly see that i i listen to a uh, oh boy quite quite a bit of dylan um and a lot of the birds covers too like i i was just listening to a the the lay down your weary tune one earlier today um but yeah his his style is so interesting and you like you play a lot of a lot of his stuff while well, you do your live gigs, right? Oh yeah, yeah. For a while, I was doing a show that that was called uh, uh, York Sings Dylan, and I would do like in one night I'd do twenty or more Dylan songs, and it just gave me the really a good excuse to go deeper into the Dylan songs that I didn't know. And, and you know, what I mean, you start seeing where he draws his inspiration, like that 
that song Lay Down Your Weary Tune, which might be my favorite Dylan tune of all time, is actually based on an old Quaker hymn that's called How Can I Keep From Singing. The melody is almost exactly the same. And you find this in other things, like uh, some of his most famous songs are based on melodies that exist in really sort of obscure folk songs. And I was just reading an article uh, that was uh, conducted with him in 1966, and he talked about how he would just take some old song that he loved and just let it leap through his mind. Uh, until it would start to morph into a slightly different melody. And then if that process stayed with him, he knew that was the song he was writing. In other words, he based his... It's kind of like opera, where they always... You, until recently, they would base they would base the whole opera on some legend that everybody already knew, you know? Well, he's sort of going into our, our subconscious musically. Maybe we don't know this song, but it's in our shared American, or perhaps Irish or whatever, or African, whatever. Uh, it's in our shared memory, and he builds on that. You know, so if you once you start to realize that, you start to think, oh wow, this this song that I thought was a really cool song goes even deeper than I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some some of those lyrics are are pretty hard to to decipher, but are just so so fascinating when you can can finally figure them out and you said lay down your weary tune might might be one of one of your favorite dylan songs or yeah i mean uh, i've always thought you know that line about um rest yourself neath the strength of strings no voice can hope to hum to me i always thought you know that would be a great epitaph mm. You know, if I needed an epitaph, although I'm sure I'm just going to be cremated, but if I was going to be buried somewhere, boy, that's it. I mean, rest yourself neath the strength of strings. No voice can hope to hum. I just love that. So anyway, that yeah, that's a tremendous song. I mean, like last night at my show, um, I did about, I'd say about 19 songs. I would say six of them were, were bird songs, and one of them was um, Wheels on Fire. Oh, yes. And that's a song that we recorded, I guess, probably in 1968. So I'm singing it a long time. Long time I'm singing that song for people. I still have no clue what most of it is about. <laughs> but I love doing that because what happens is, you know, as human beings, we fill in the blanks. Yeah, you get your own, like, visualization yeah, of, of what it so is. That's, a, that's how you have to learn a song is you have to fill it in with pieces of your own life, you know? And, and, you know, like that, that where it goes, uh, notify my next of kin, this wheel shall explode. Well, that's, in my mind, is obviously the time he had, he had a motorcycle accident in upstate New York where he was living, and for a year and a half he was out of, out of commission, mm -hmm. like he broke his neck. So that is enough for us to hold on to, and then the rest of it is kind of like the Beatles song, um, Come Together. Yeah. You know, like Timothy Leary asked John Lennon, to write a song because Leary wanted to run for president and he wanted to have a like a campaign song that would pull all the different battling groups together and he wanted the chorus to be instantly understandable so what Lennon did you know is he he wrote you know chorus we obviously know a chorus on many levels but then the rest of the verses make no sense it's all like what kind of like you know, like Lenny was really into James Joyce at the time. And it's just a collection of these images that sort of stir your subconscious, almost like the warring factions in a room where nobody's listening to each other. But the chorus unites everybody, and that's what 
Timothy Leary wanted, you know, for, for the country and for the whole world. Well, Dylan does that too sometimes. He just creates this confusion, but then he, he always gives you a place to rest and to know what it's about. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Like, there's, I'm pretty sure, like, in the end of The Lonesome Death of Poor Hattie Carroll, right? Like, the, mm. the verse changes to, like, what what is it? Like, so put the rag, wait, no, take the rag oh, you away from philosophize. You who philosophize and disgrace and criticize all fears, yeah. take the rag away from your face now at the time. You yeah, he nail, he just nails it. Yeah, he and nails it right in. Yeah, he's got the, like the two words that are different from from the rest of the 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 chorus, and it's um it it just kind of hits you at the end. It's like wow, that's oddly powerful. <laughs> yeah, really brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, yeah, there have been like a few um specifically Dylan songs that just affect me like I can never listen to um if you see her say hello mm. or I'm just like really really sad for the rest of the day it's really interesting yeah man, that is a killer song yeah <laughs> <laughs> have you ever heard um every grain of sand yes yes man, that's another oh, there's just so many we could go on and on there's just so many <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Let's see. As well as I guess your your solo stuff and the work you've done with the birds, you played with the mamas and the papas too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you like? What do you do with that? That must have been quite quite an experience. It was. It was. I mean, I was their bass player, and uh, you know, we did a certain amount of touring, and I loved that gig. I absolutely loved being their bass player. It was just like joining the circus. I mean, it, it was. Their effect on audience, uh, audiences was just magical. You know, they had this cast of characters that was just adorable and uh, attractive each in their own way. And the music was really, really good and very, very musical. So uh, I really enjoyed that gig, yeah. Yeah, talk about harmonies, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so so you said you, you toured with them. You must have spent a lot of time, like, learning the, the ins and outs of each one of the members, right? Well, what they did is they kept themselves pretty much apart from the band. I mean, they had all reached a certain amount of weariness about being celebrities. And so, other than Denny, who who liked, um, shall we say, um, getting loose with the musicians, <laughs> the others um, didn't mix with us that much. I mean, sometimes John would, but uh, they, they had to, just out of necessity, sort of protect themselves you know that's really interesting i i never would have thought like that you were completely like isolated from the band well we weren't completely isolated but i mean yeah we were we were obviously employees but put it that way mm. <laughs> yeah huh that's yeah i guess the way you communicate is through the music right <laughs> yeah basically i mean it, it was everything Everything was taken care of. There were, you know, many times when you're on the road, there's a hundred things that can go wrong every day before a gig. A hundred little things that can go wrong and mess things up. But, you know, John Phillips, he knew, because he had been there. He had been in every situation that a musician could be in. So he really, and his team, they just thought everything out in advance. Like, somebody would come to your house and, if necessary, wake you up 
make sure you, you know, had what you needed, you know, throw you in a limo and drive you to the airport. So there was never any excuse for a musician being late and missing a plane. Wow. Things like that. And then they only liked to go out to do gigs on the weekends. So we never did more than three or four gigs in a row. Sometimes we'd fly out of L.A. and go somewhere in Canada or whatever somewhere, and we would do one gig, but they would pay us for the whole weekend. And I asked John, I said, why are you, why are you paying me for three gigs? I only played one. And he said, well, you know, you could have had some gig with somebody else for three nights, but I took you for one, so I want to pay you for three nights. That's that's really interesting, huh? Yeah, I mean, he was he he just had it all thought out. I mean, I'd go to pay. You know, sometimes when you're staying in a hotel, and with them it was always just really really upscale hotels, right? You know, sometimes you you call room service because you're hungry or you want a bottle of champagne or something, right? I'd go to pay that in the morning when we're leaving, and they'd say, no, no, it's taken care of. And one time. I went to this music store that I had been going to all for a number of years where I had a, a charge account that was way overdue. Like I had bought a bass there and a bunch of other stuff, and I felt really bad that I had been, I got way behind on my payments, right? Mm-hmm. So I went in when I got my first paycheck from the mamas and papas to pay the bill, and the guy said, No, no, it's already been paid. I said, What are you talking about? Who could pay it? And he said, The mamas and papas. Wow. I don't even know how they knew that I had a charge account with that music store, but they paid what I owed that music store. That's really that's really nice of them. The good good conditions, I'm guessing from from the sounds of that. They were phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah, that that sounds like like quite a, a musical experience and all in all, do you have like a favorite musical moment you've ever had whether it be with the mamas and the papas, the birds, whatever? Well, you know, I I can't say that I have a favorite musical moment, but I I will say this. The most fun I've ever had on the road with a musician was with Barry Maguire. Hmm. Barry Maguire and I toured, oh, let's say, from 2008 through 2008 to the end of 2016. He had this show called Trip in the 60s. It was just the two of us, and he took his wife, Mari. I took my wife, Sumi. Mari did all the merchandising, you know, and my wife um, was in charge of the load-in, load-out, and the sound-checking and everything. And we would have a driver, like a tour manager, who drove us around. It was incredible fun playing with Barry and, you know, having our wives with us. And I'm sure there were obstacles, there were strange things that happened, but never between us or the people we were working with. Not one disagreement, not one argument. Sometimes all kinds of weird stuff would happen, and we, the four of us, would look at each other and laugh and say, okay, this is the part of the movie where the weird guy shows up and the door's locked and whatever, you know. It's just like that. You know, it's like it depends so much on the energy of the people you're working with, you know. And, and I know when I was younger, it was easy for me to get, like, all dissatisfied and disgruntled with the situation. And, but, um... With you know traveling with Barry, I had I had basically outgrown all that silliness, and it was just the gratitude for every gig. Every gig was just like magical. I had so much fun with Barry, so that that would have to be the answer to your question. Wow, yeah, well that that sounds like an absolute blast. It's it's hard to to get along with like three other people for like a a day alone, <laughs> let alone like what eight years. You said that. Yeah. That's that's really impressive. And so, you know, so so is the rest of your musical career, right? You've done so much. And 
And thank you so much for talking to me, John. Like getting to hear all about your bass playing, your guitar playing, sharing uh, my my Dylan obsession with you. <laughs> yeah, that's it's been a lot of fun. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm I'm grateful that you that you uh, asked me, and um, you know if I can ever help you, just let me know. And uh, I I'm really happy that you have this opportunity. That your high school is so hip so ahead of the curve that they have a radio station. I love that. Oh, so yeah. just, uh, just do your best and uh, you know the doors will open. I'll do that. Well, thank you so much again, Sam. Yeah, thank you too. All right, take care. I'm Sam, and I hope you enjoyed that interview with John York of The Birds and who played uh, live and on, on a few recordings with The Mamas and The Papas. If you did enjoy that interview, make sure to check out My Back Pages, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or pretty much any other podcasting platform. For many other great interviews just like this one.